the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 32, Selected Works by H.P. Lovecraft, Part 5. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read books and talk about them so that you don't have to. Appendix N refers to a list of inspirational reading in the first edition of the Dungeon Master's Guide, written by E. Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons. Every episode of Appendix N will feature a different story or collection of stories. We will review the story and talk about how it may have influenced the first edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. If you enjoy the show and would like to leave a comment, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming stories. Uh, Just to note that we did have some Skype issues while recording this episode. Uh, I did try to edit out all the really bad parts, but you may hear voices get choppy or fade out or have a metallic sound. Uh, I hope it does not interfere with your listening enjoyment. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. And with me, as always, is my uh, co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. I am so happy to be here. You have no idea. <laughs> I'm sure you're 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 uh, happy to be here and away from your uh, family for a, sh- a short time. Just just for a little while. Just for a little while. I I, I have a seven week old son, so it's uh, been an been an experience. Well, maybe maybe you can uh, read some of these uh, stories to your son uh, to help him fall asleep. <laughs> his his bedroom is actually kind of done up with uh, with t- tentacle wall decals in a in a Cthulhu sort of way. Oh dear, so, yeah, That's it's, awesome. It's it's never too early to start, I suppose. All right, and uh, also with us tonight uh, is my special guest, Lewis Brenton. Thanks for having me on again, guys. I appreciate it. All right, welcome back, Lewis. And I understand uh, Lewis has, has also recently added to his family. Congratulations. Yes, we uh, we just adopted a, a new baby girl. Uh, she's three months old, and we adopted her two months ago, and we're thrilled. All right, well, congratulations. And uh, my, my other special guest, uh, who has not recently had a baby or adopted a baby, uh, Peter Foxhoven. Hey, thanks again for having me. Peter Foxhoven, uh, expert on uh, Robert E. Howard and Conan, but here tonight to talk with us about Lovecraft. He'll be representing the uh, the childless point of view. <laughs> uh, I, I also do not uh, have a child uh, or a significant other. Uh, I'm, I'm single. Uh, but I, tr- I trust you as the moderator to remain independent, though. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I'm independent, unattached. Yes. All right. Exactly. Exactly, man. If any, if any ladies are listening, uh, you can send fan mail to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The email address that I will uh, announce at the end of, of the show. All right. right. Um, you know what? I, I actually do have a, have a Twitter and an, an Instagram now. It's probably about high time I started, started promoting those uh, on my, on my uh, critically acclaimed uh, podcast. So. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. But tonight we are talking about three uh, short stories by H.P. Lovecraft that he wrote towards... Uh, the end of his life, and these are The Thing on the Doorstep, 
The Shadow Out of Time, and The Haunter of the Dark. Uh, we'll start with the first one. The Thing on the Doorstep was written August 1933 and was published January 1937 in Weird Tales. Uh, Jeff, would you like to summarize? Uh, there is so much that you can say about this story. So there's this guy, Derby, right? And he uh, is your your typical uh, antisocial um nerdy Lovecraft protagonist. He meets a woman 15 years his junior, um, marries her. Uh, then she, uh, she moves into um, moves into his life and just kind of destroys him over a period of several years. Uh, the point the narrator of the story is a friend of his who is increasingly concerned. Um, she's a, a, um, crazy, insane magic user. And it turns out that she's not even herself. She's possessed by the spirit of her dead father and the spirit of her dead father wants to possess, uh, the husband as well. It does not go very well. And somebody ends up shot in the head. Uh, yes, quite. That's, that's quite a succinct, uh, summary. Yes. Uh, Edward Pickman, uh, Derby. Uh, the second uh, character to bear the name uh, Pikmin in, uh, in uh, Lovecraft's uh, tales. The narrator is Daniel Upton, and the uh, femme fatale is... There's just so much that you can say about this story. The, the, uh, the uh, femme fatale is uh, Asenath White, uh, one, of, one of Lovecraft's only uh, prominent female characters, although she's not really female because she's possessed by the uh, mind of her, of her father, so, which, is, which is weird. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and the only other female uh, character with any kind of uh, screen time at all in Lovecraft that I could think of off the top of my head, at least, is Lavinia Whiteley, who I was going to say really just has no agency whatsoever in her story. She's just a vessel for her father's ambitions. But, you know, if I think about it, uh, Lavinia still manages to come off better than Lavinia. Uh, better than uh, Asenath in that regard, since Asenath is never even present in the story. It's established that she's already been possessed by her dead father mm-hmm. before um, she even meets Derby. Yeah, he he pu- possessed her and then and then uh, poisoned his own body with with her mind in it. Um, yeah, and we 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 get references to uh, Innsmouth. Um, we get references to. Uh, I think uh, Nyarlathotep and and uh, and uh, Shub Niggeroth. So, uh, whole, whole, he's he's really bringing his universe to, together here. Yeah, I'm not sure actually that the timeline completely works, uh, given that Derby was uh, World War One is mentioned in the timeline of the story, and then years later, um, the actual. Um, possession and getting shot in the head happens and supposedly in shadow over Innsmouth, the federal government raids the town in 1927 and i'm not sure that the end of this story could happen before 1928 um though whether that's a continuity error or just me uh misreading something i couldn't say we'll we'll have to write an, an angry uh letter to mr mr uh, lovecraft pointing out these uh, inconsistencies well, you know, I mean, that happened on Earth 1. The story is set in Earth 2. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What did, what did you think of the story, Lewis? I thought it was really interesting. Um, I, 
I felt like this was a a real classic Lovecraft tale. And obviously we've discussed, well, I haven't been on in on the Lovecraft discussions, but y'all have discussed many different Lovecraft tales, but this is a real mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a Lovecraft par excellence for me. It's just a, it's told from the point of view of somebody outside who's kind of figuring things out as he goes. Um, is, is the guy Daniel Upton? Is that right? Yeah, that's the, that's the narrator. Yeah, that's the point of view guy, and so he's he's watching it happen and slowly putting the pieces together, and you know we we get to experience his horror as he does it, and that's very Lovecraftian as somebody putting the pieces together and then being horrified at the the conclusion. That's 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 half the Lovecraft stories I feel like, um, yeah, including my favorite one, which is uh, Call of Cthulhu. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah. Uh, it 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 uh, it bears a lot of similarities to the case of Charles Dexter Ward, uh, which at this time was was not yet uh, published. But you've 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 got an an evil wizard uh, who who wants to live live for forever, and he's he's willing to to take over somebody else's else's life to do it. Um, I think we were we were discussing this before the show, but I, I don't think uh, Joseph Kerwin. Joseph Kerwin did not actually switch bodies with Charles Dexter Ward. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I think what happened was uh, Kerwin murdered him and assumed his identity, which which is pretty similar to body switching, you know, if, from an outside perspective. Right. They just they just happened to look alike because they were they were uh, distant distant relatives, or well, some- because of a spell that Kerwin uh, Kerwin cast that caused. Charles Dexter Ward to to be the person that he was. I see. Now, yes. Now, now I I I, I remember. <clears throat> but yeah, this this story almost almost seems seems to be a, about the same the same plot, just 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 a different uh, mechanism. Well, the the I think the mechanism is is significant though because the the theme of it is so different. Charles Dexter Ward is caught in this. In, in a trap, basically, uh, he he really has no chance of of resisting uh, Kerwin's influence, just because of who he is and the machinations that Kerwin has set up from beyond the grave. Um, right, he was you know, he was casting, he was fated to. Right, he was he was fated to be the guy that that he was. He just he just yeah. couldn't couldn't help it. Yeah, whereas um, uh, poor Derby is is seduced into it. Right, he's he's chosen because he has a he he has a weak a weak will, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and according to what I've what I've been reading on Wikipedia, apparently Derby uh, Derby appears to be based on uh, Clark Ashton Smith, one of one of uh, Lovecraft's friends. I would have just uh, assumed that Derby was yet another guy who's H.P. Lovecraft with the name crossed out and a new name written in on on top in crayon. You would <laughs> you would you would think so, but apparently, well, I mean, a lot of Lovecraft's pals were like him, uh, and he he liked to put his pals in stories and uh, kill them, and they would do do the do do the do the same uh, back back to him. So um, right. We see that in the Haunter of the Dark too, which we'll talk about later this evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Peter Peter Foxhoven, do you have, do you have any comments on the thing on the doorstep? 
Absolutely. I mean, other than the fact that for me, this was a page turner. I can't explain it. Like you can tell, like, I, I guess I shouldn't say you can tell, but it's, it stands to reason this was one of his later published works because I thought the flow of it was so much better than other Lovecraft stuff that I've read. But the two things that made me really happy about it are these two references to Robert E. Howard's work and specifically a story called The Black Stone mm-hmm. um, that he wrote. And so the, one of them, um, Von Junst's Unersprachlichen Kulten, right, The Unspeakable Cults. Right, mm-hmm. that one it was an invention of Robert E. Howard, and the same um, the as they called it a Baudelarian poet, uh, Justin Jeffrey, who wrote uh, "People of the Monolith," I think, is yeah, "People of the Monolith." That's also a reference from that exact same story by Robert E. Howard. And actually, all three of these, like as as like a little teaser, all three of these stories have explicit references to Howard's work and show Howard's contribution to the mythos because he he actually did do some work uh, in, in that same milieu and working with that same mythos as Robert, or as H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Yeah, Chaosium put out an anthology of Robert E. Howard's mythos fiction uh, a few years ago called, I think, Nameless Cults after the Von Junst uh, fictional text. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting that, that we like this story so much because some of... Some of uh, Lovecraft's biggest uh, commentators, like uh, Lynn, Lynn Carter and uh, S.T. Joshi, uh, did did not. And of course, Lovecraft hated all of his own uh, stories, so he was he was highly critical of it. Uh, but yeah, I I, I rather in, enjoyed it. I thought the characters were actual characters. They had they had per, per, personalities. Um, you know, it's 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 it, it's interesting because because you know in Right from the very beginning, Lovecraft pretty much tells us what is going on. So nothing's nothing's really a, a, a mystery. We're just sort of watching this uh, tragedy un, unfold, and we can't really stop it. Well, it's yeah, sort of like point. the. Go ahead, brother. It's sort of like the sequence in the case of Charles Dexter Ward, where uh, Kerwin is impress- uh, impersonating Ward, and he can't—he just cannot bring himself to stop making references to the uh, to the seventeenth century, talking about uh, events of the day and a particular blacksmith shop and yada yada yada. Similarly, uh, in this story, it's really telegraphed. Uh, Derby goes to Upton more than once and is like, I feel like I'm, I'm being mind controlled. I feel like I'm, I'm losing my identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the description of Asenath at the Hall School, the, the, the girls' school where she uh, is introduced, where she's uh, apparently like just hypnotizing the other female students left and right. And <laughs> that's weird if you think about it lovecraft just kind of glides right over it well if you were a dirty old man and you were you were in your own daughter's body at uh boarding school um yeah you you might get up to some shenanigans wouldn't you just laying out exactly what's going on out of time and at the mountains of madness uh, and the Shadow over Innsmouth, for that matter, all just sort of at one point devolve into this narrative of the uh, the pre-human eldritch horror. Jeff, you, you cut out for like about half a minute there. That's terrible because I was saying some, some really clever things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I... <laughs> can, you, can you say it all again? <laughs> I have no idea. Where, where did I... Uh, where the did last I leave thing... Off? The last thing I heard you say was, or I heard Jeff 
other Jeffs talking about a dirty old man inside his daughter's body at a girl's boarding school, and that's when I lost the signal. But, you know, that may just be the best place to leave it. (laughs) (laughs) On a high note like that. Yes. Yeah. Clearly, Jeff's Jeff's words were not meant for our fragile human minds, and the the universe has mercifully whisked them away to to the outer sphere. That's right. It would have cost us eight sanity points, so it's best to have not heard it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the, with this book, with this story, the thing on the doorstep, Lovecraft leads with his conclusion, you know, which is what I was, which was, was going to comment on here. He, uh, mm-hmm. he starts with, I sent six bullets to the head of my best friend, you mm-hmm. know, um, that's quite an opening. Well, he... <laughs> He he actually did that all the way back in uh, Herbert West Reanimator. One one of the chapters opens with, you know, a man does not normally empty all six bullets of, of a revolver. But let me tell you why I did. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so he's he's setting us up here to know this is all going to end ugly, which. This is the end of Lovecraft's, you know, or near the end of his writing time. So we know it's all going to end ugly. I think what Jeff Wickstrom was was uh, alluding to earlier is is it's it's got that uh, circling the drain quality of uh, of uh, mountains uh, mountains of madness, right? Where they where they slowly circle around the horror and eventually just mm-hmm. put a put a pin right right on it. Yeah. yeah, it's much like the Dunwich Horror and the Shadow over Innsmouth and At the Mountains of Madness and Shadow out, uh, out of Time, for that matter. It's You can say it's a lot of things, but it's not subtle, right? It's very clear uh, as to what the story is about, as to what's happening. Um, the thing on the doorstep does not sort of devolve the way that At the Mountains of Madness and Shadow out of Time just eventually kind of all the narrative uh, about the human characters falls away and you're just left with a, a story about uh, you know, ancient pre-human civilizations that hate one another. Mm. Yeah. Where, uh, and, and presumably the, the human characters are, are reading about and piecing this together, but the fact that it's their human characters is just uh, it's not what Lovecraft's interested in. That's right. And he's he does. I, th- I think it's a good literary technique that, you know, with all these there's it's often an unveiling type story. But we we the reader can see it coming, but not in a oh, this is a predictable and lame way, but more we're suffering on behalf of the protagonists, you know, before they even are completely. You know, if I can pivot seeing- a little bit. If I can pivot a little bit on that, how does that? Uh, how do we capture that, or how do we uh, try to pull off that same kind of narrative technique in the context of a Dungeons and Dragons game? Well, I don't. I don't mm. know that we necessarily do. I mean, I mean, D and D games don't don't have to play out like uh, stories. They, I mean, they 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 often don't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly that's certainly the case. I think. I uh, think this. Having, uh, this this body switching spell would be would be uh, interesting and and fun in the hands of the of the player characters. Well, it's just magic jar. It's a it's a spell that exists. It's existed in the game for for ages. It's uh, it's magic jar. Mm-hmm. Okay then. Well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used I used this the body switch thing back when I was in college running a Marvel superheroes game and I swapped out everybody in different bodies like that and uh, and then halfway through the story a similar thing happened and they all jumped again 
and uh, it, it, it made for an interesting story. It's kind of a it's kind of a one trick thing. You can't pull that out in your campaign every couple of years, but it's kind of a trope you can pull and use and good for one time. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where when the players figure out that it's happening, um, you know, that kind of robs it of some of its power. Whereas when you're reading a story and you figure out what's happening and you know more than the, the dummy protagonist who uh, cannot see the evidence in front of their faces, you feel smart and engaged with the story. Well, I mean, yes. the, 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 the PCs have the benefit of living in a, in a uh, fantasy world where there are wizards and ghosts and dragons. Poor, poor Daniel Upton lives in the real world so when his, his friend uh, 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 Edward Pickman Derby tells me, I feel like I'm being possessed by my wife. He just thinks that Edward Pickman Derby is, is, is crazy and, and uh, you know, should, should be housed in a, in a sanitarium. Yeah, but it can it can backfire on you. And if we can uh, move on, uh, maybe come back to it later. But move on to the shadow out of time. Yes, let's. In the the one of the first D twenty adventures was Death in Freeport, mm-hmm. um, which came out back in either early two thousand one or late two thousand when third edition was brand spanking new. And it's um, the adventure, as I recall, I maybe. I, I hope I'm not thinking of a different uh, different adventure besides Death in Freeport. I hope Death in Freeport is the one that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Death in Freeport, uh, sort of the premise, is that there's this guy who had something really mysterious happen to him that he doesn't know what it is. He uh, was just this re- living his regular, normal, daily life, and then all of a sudden he got really weird and he started collecting uh, information. He started using crazy slang, keeping crazy notes keeping secrets from his friends and family. He didn't seem to know his friends and family. He tried to act like he did know his friends and family. He drove them all away. He was acting really weird and peculiar for several years. And then he suddenly, you know, snap, came right back. Uh, And so he asks the player characters to investigate it. And anybody who has read The Shadow Out of Time, who is faced with that scenario in the game, is going to have a real hard time pretending that they don't immediately recognize the work of the great race of Yith. And I, I believe yeah. I, I believe the uh, illustrious uh, Jeff Greiner, host of the Tome Show, is is, is actually running uh, the Freeport trilogy for one of his groups and uh, discussing that on uh, behind the GM screen. Hmm. Oh wow! Well, well, okay. In my defense, I haven't listened to behind the GM screen lately, but I do have a <laughs> newborn. So, <laughs> so right. cross promotion right. of Tome Show programs. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah. uh, we so we've we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let, let me uh, actually introduce the Shadow Out of Time. It was written uh, between uh, November 1934 and February 1935, and was published uh, June 1936 in Astounding Stories. Uh, the hero is a man named Nathaniel Wingate Peasley, and yes, it 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 does uh, introduce the great race of Yith, uh, according to Wikipedia. Um, Lovecraft was inspired by a film called Berkeley Square, which uh, had a similar uh, time travel body swapping um, premise. Uh, all right, uh, Lewis, would would you yes, like sir. to would you like to summarize uh, the Shadow Out of Time? Sure. Yeah, um, I, I enjoyed this story a lot too. By the way, um, this, this tells the story of uh, this man that you already identified. Uh, Nathaniel Wingate Peasley, 
and uh, he is the point of view character as well in the story, uh, except for the five years when he's not, <laughs> in a certain sense, because yep. he he is a college professor. He's in the middle of a lecture. Suddenly, he has some sort of mental episode and drops unconscious. Now, what in his mind, what happens is he wakes back up and starts teach continue the lecture right away. But actually, five years have passed, and after some medical treatment what everyone thought was Peasley got up and started walking around living Peasley's life for five years. His personality was different. Some of his mannerisms were different and he was acting in odd ways, but he was functioning as a human being and people rolled with it to a degree. And then, uh, after five years, um, Peasley woke up and discovered that he had been lit. His body had been living five years of life without him. And uh, then he set himself out to explore and kind of put together the pieces of what had happened with him. Uh, very Fight Clubby, if you will, from uh, that part. Once the uh, the protagonist of Fight Club realizes that he himself is doing out, he takes quest to figure out what he's been doing. And uh, this leads Peasley to eventually um, go on an archaeological dig. Uh, it was it West Australia, is that right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, and. Uh, in West Australia, uh, they actually discover um, the ruins of this ancient, ancient, ancient millions of years ago civilization that he had been participating in when he had his body switch. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a it's a fascinating story. I really enjoy it. Yeah this this story kind of kind of takes all the elements of Lovecraft s- stories and, and just just kind of crams it all in there we've 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 got uh we've got uh body swapping we've got time travel we've we've got aliens we've got ancient civilizations we've got uh an an archaeological expedition uh we've got australia um which is which is near uh where where uh rilia is so yeah there's a couple of explicit references to the elder thing from at the mountains of madness mm-hmm. yeah and the yeah, shagas and, it's, and, and uh, isn't dyer in this one too who was one of the people that went on the expedition to the mountains to antarctica yeah apparently he's uh, still alive and well so uh you think he would have learned i didn't point. catch that oh <laughs> I, I, does does dyer actually go on the ex- the expedition or, or does he just like fund and advise it or or something in uh, this he goes story. on the australia expedition <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that's his own darn fault. <laughs> well, I guess I guess that uh, that uh, second uh, expedition to Antarctica that that he was uh, warning uh, warning against uh, did not result in the in the end of the world. So, um... or maybe it just so... couldn't get the funding grant. You know, it's all <laughs> locked up in committee, and he just had to get a different like. You know, pet project while he was on it, and so he jumped on this one. Well, after you know, after Ant- Antarctica, you know, the desert probably sounds like uh, sounds like a like a fun time, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we know for a fact that the Yithians are long gone, right? They projected their consciousnesses off into the far future, so they're they're completely uh, departed. It's safe to investigate them. There's no chance of a bunch of them waking up and dismembering people. Yeah. Right, but there's there's something in those in those ruins, isn't isn't there? Dead things, yeah. And there, well, there's something that chases him and grabs him too. Um, I don't, was it a, was it a shoggoth? I don't remember now. 
It's not clear to me. Yeah, it, I, I don't think it's supposed to be clear. It, it made a weird yeah. whistling noise. Right. I, I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be a, a Yithian or an elder thing or a flying polyp or or what mm-hmm. it was. It was it was it was a thing. It was it was a bad bad thing, and yeah. we're we're all glad that Peasley got away from it. Right. And he ends up stumbling madly out of the desert like people in Lovecraft stories do. Mm-hmm. You know? I have to wonder, though, what's up with the southern hemisphere of this planet in Lovecraft, because it seems like a lot of just eerie stuff just happens to go down there. So, like, it's you full know, of foreigners. I guess so, yeah. It's just all, all full of strange people, because, like, you have, like, you know... They have, they have the Mounts of Madness is in the Southern Hemisphere. Relay is in the Southern Hemisphere. The islands that the people at Innsmouth first got like in with the Deep Ones is in the Southern Hemisphere. This there is are in the no Southern Northern Hemisphere. Europeans there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and therefore it just must be decadent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think it it also partially has to do By with like a um, I I I I think it it also partially has to do with. Um, uh, the same sort of stuff that inspired uh, the 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 moon pool uh, that, that that we that we covered many many episodes back this 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 whole notion of a of a of a of a pole shift and if you if you were going to have an, an ancient civilization that retreated underground like this is this is where it it would be um, I mean maybe this this is just where you know where where the the uh, exp- expeditions of the time were were happening so this is this is what would have been in lovecraft's uh, uh daily newspaper and his and his journals i'm guessing i don't i don't know i can sure. see that although if i was going to compare one of these stories to the works of merit i would go with the thing on the doorstep uh where asenath and her father are sort of a you know uh, even worse version of the father and daughter from um what is it oh yeah Shit. Oh. Not burn which burn, yeah. Burn burn which burn and uh, creep uh, shadow creep. Yeah, That's creep, creep shadow about. creep. Yeah, creep shadow creep. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, I, I mean, Merritt Merritt was a very popular author in his day and virtually yeah, un, you know, unknown today. So I guess like, I guess here, Lovecraft would have the. But yeah, but this is the Lovecraft version. So instead of having a good woman and a bad woman who nevertheless loves the hero and the bad woman's evil advisor, all you have is the evil advisor and the shell of the bad woman that the evil advisor is using against the hero. It's, it's, uh, it's the merit like archetype just with all of the uh, dwellers in the mirage and, and so forth. Just all of the, all of the uh, potential aids to the hero have been ripped out and replaced with just, you know, screaming emptiness. <laughs> <laughs> Still very Lovecraftian. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and this is this story is doing what you know, I mentioned. One one major Lovecraft thing is the mystery that's slowly being unfolded, you know. And uh, but here you see the other thing that he often does, which is pulling back the curtain, you know, and showing you what's really going on behind what we think is reality. He puts together a very impressive and comprehensive timeline based on what, according to the text, are some very sketchy folktales. I gotta say. Yes. He does some very impressive library research pulling up some some obscure case histories. I gotta, I got my hats off to the guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in in Shadow Out of Time, Lovecraft spends uh, a great deal of time uh, describing the the culture and society and history of uh, the great race of Yith, which 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 was these uh, 
ten-foot-tall uh, cone-shaped creatures that, that lived on Earth, what, like a billion years ago? All right, well, the cone-shaped creatures were their, their victims. You know, the, the Yithians had lived before and would live again in different bodies. I see. Yeah, the, yeah the, the, the version of the Yithians that he experiences are the cone-shaped creatures, but they are not the original form either, right? Yeah, they're the great race, masters of time and space, mm-hmm. um, who laugh and gamble in the cosmos and fear nothing, not even death. Yeah, so this this is this is uh, re- re- regarded by the uh, by by the same uh, critics that uh, poo pooed uh, the thing on on, on on the doorstep. This is this uh, shadow out of time is regarded as one of Lovecraft's uh, masterpieces, uh, partly partly be, be, because of this. I found it really boring to listen to, but maybe that's just because I was I was listening to it and not and not carefully. Uh, reading, reading uh, through it, it's it's a great um, place to start if you're if you're going to bu- uh, uh, build a a weird alien psychic uh, culture like, for example, uh, mind flayers, or even if you're if you're trying to figure out what what life on uh, Gallifrey might have might have been been mm-hmm. like, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a, it's, a, it's a good place to at, at least you know start. You've right. you've got creatures that are that are immortal and can travel through 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 time and and see through all of space space and time so what would what would that culture look like right yeah the the great race of yith is i think one of lovecraft's coolest and maybe most underrated from a gaming perspective inventions because if i was going to pick something to challenge you know like your your archetypal epic level D party who are casting or who are throwing around ninth level spells like nobody's business it i would throw the great race of yith at them because what are you going to do with the great race of yith what what exactly can you do to defeat them if you blow up their their home planet or plane or whatever all they'd have to do is project themselves into you know somewhere else they could take over any civilization just boom like that Mm-hmm. And yep. they could be operating from any temporal point they, too. They can be like operating from any temporal point, yeah, because they yeah. can since they can travel freely through time. I mean, you'd, uh, you'd you'd have to travel back to the very beginning of time itself to stop them, and they would see you coming. Yeah, yeah. There, yep. uh, there's a reason that in Call of Cthulhu, at least fifth edition, um, in the bestiary where it's laying out all of Lovecraft's different creations and dividing them up, you have. Uh, lesser servitor races who are enslaved to the old ones, greater servitor races who are enslaved to the old ones, um, lesser independent races who are not enslaved by the old ones, and there's exactly one that is classified as a greater independent race, and that's the great race of Yith. It's right yeah. there. It's right there in their name. They're the great race. <laughs> Truth in advertising. One might even call them the master race. They're known for their humility, yes. That's right. They're the most humble race in space-time. That's right. I mean, they're they're not really... I mean, it it doesn't really seem like they're they're evil. I mean, they they do uh, disrupt uh, Mr. Mr. Peasley's uh, life, but but they treat him nice. 
right? They 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 teach him all about their 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 culture, and when all and, they do is give him crippling mental illness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think yeah, I I think in their minds they wouldn't say that they're evil. We would perceive it like that because I think they see they would see pretty much every other race out there as insects. Yeah, know? and you yeah, don't see a, you don't see killing an insect as an act of evil. Is it yeah. evil to throw out an ant farm? Right. Yeah, but you 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 still don't don't even talk to 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 insects, right? The the Yithians in you know they they kidnap people, yes, but but then they then they in, invite them into their their uh, culture and in, and engage in this sort of cultural exchange, even though they wipe their memories when they go back to their own time. So not not really. I gotta say, I gotta say, I did not envision that as being like a a grand salon where Yithians and humans from across time sat around and just sort of made small talk and discussed philosophy like uh, Socrates. I, I got the impression rather that it was there was a sort of waiting room where all of the humans were herded into and then they were taken out one at a time and made to write until their hands fell off well there was interaction though because they they interacted with he he lists the long list of people he got to talk to including the sumerian character in that right to get our howard yeah. reference in yeah yeah that was yeah. going to be my howard alert kramya the sumerian chieftain Krom, yes. yeah yeah um but i i didn't get the impression that the yithians were themselves participating in those conversations that's true. Yeah. Maybe they were. Maybe maybe they were. There's no particular argument uh, or assertion made that they weren't. But that's that's not the impression that I got, at least. Yeah. So is is maybe a better metaphor than insects to be crushed? Maybe more like uh, professors who are experimenting on rats, but are nice to the rats while they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe like if we were to find it, you know, there's always that question of like, you know, dolphins and their sentience or whatever. Like that has been creeping up more and more in recent years. Like maybe it's that sort of a situation. Yeah, where eventually, they like, eventually the dolphins are going to learn to talk. And the first thing they're going to say is, why did you, you know, pollute the oceans and, you know, hunt us for sport and yada, yada, yada. And the humans, we're going to tell them we had no idea you were intelligent. The dolphins are going to say, bull hockey, obviously we were intelligent. Did you not... Do you really expect us to believe that? Then there will be war between the humans and the dolphins, and the dolphins will win because they wanted it more, uh, as has been foretold on The Simpsons. No, yep. no, the the the, <laughs> the 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 dolphins are nice. They will they will buy us all uh, goldfish bowls that say "so long" and "thanks for all the fish." That's correct. But so maybe like the Yithians, when talking about their, from a gaming perspective, maybe they're true, they, maybe they represent true neutrality, or not true neutrality, like lawful neutrality, right? Like what they're doing isn't expressly evil, but they're doing it for a certain purpose that it seems from our perspective that they're not willing to um, undermine with paltry discussions of like the rights of sentient beings or something like this. is sort of an anti-Star Trek, like Federation sort of mentality, right? Where they sure. just couldn't care. They had yeah. no particular qualms about any like collateral damage. Yeah, right, and I think that makes a, Yeah, but I was gonna say that makes that's what makes an interesting villain. You know, I, a villain that just goes I'm the villain is not very interesting. You know, but a Doctor Doom who wants to rule the planet because he's he genuinely believes he's the best guy for the job is a much more interesting sort of a guy. You know, or uh, yeah. something like that. Yeah, the great race of Yith go from ancient prehistory to the cockroach people that that replace humanity in the far future, skipping the the age of mammals completely, 
just on the grounds that humans don't merit their attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is not and this is not the one place Lovecraft does this, but yeah, this is a great story for feel very small little human, feel very small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is not the Doctor Who universe where we where we survive until until the year 400 billion and have have you know the what is it like like the fourth great human empire or something right right mm-hmm. yeah and this is and this is not just like a single entity like a satan figure like nylar tohep or something this is this is an entire alien civilization that is doing this that mm-hmm. has this this level of contempt for humanity i mean even the 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 migo are interested in you know worshiping shubnigarath alongside humans uh, the Yithians just—they don't—they don't care. Now, is 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 this the race that's described in uh, Mountains of Madness as as having come along and 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 driven the Elder Things under underground? Yes, yes, they yeah. make war upon the Elder Things. And there is an Elder Thing uh, that's made reference to you. one of in that long list of people that they're being inhabited. There is an Elder Thing. They talk about like the five pointed beast from. Like, you know, the certain area, and it's clearly, like, an elder thing. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I mean, I couldn't pronounce the name. It's, like, all consonants. So. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other great thing about the great race of Yith. Their name is so easy to pronounce. (laughs) Yith. Yeah. All right. So it it sounds like we we all thoroughly uh, enjoyed the shadow out of of time, and it's... uh, Everyone, everyone listening to Appendix N should 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 go should go read it because uh, it's it's great inspiration for your D and D game. Yeah, I mean, I think that the story itself is kind of second tier Lovecraft, but the mm-hmm. the the invention of the great race of Yith, I think, is one of one of Lovecraft's uh, greatest. Yeah, well, and I would interject and say the the first third and the final third of the story are quite good. The middle third is the slow, draggy part where he's describing the, the great risks in a lot of detail, and it goes on about twenty five percent longer than I think it should have. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it, it would be a great it would it, it would be a great source book. It's it's really just kind of slows down the story itself. And that's mm-hmm. that's like a way to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, it's like a recurring thing with Lovecraft because I feel like we had similar conversations about at the Mountains of Madness. Right, where it droned on too long, and like from as far as like it being like a real like oh man something creepy is going on, like you know really getting involved in the story, mm-hmm. like it is more second tier, but he's giving us a lot more of like the cosmos and giving us that rich history. And it seems like he has he had trouble working. I, it feels like he had trouble working both of those in well, you know, like balancing them well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to contrast this story with At the Mountains of Madness and to contrast the Ithians with the Elder Things because the central horror of At the Mountains of Madness ultimately was that the Elder Things were were just guys that they were they were people they were people mm-hmm. that Lovecraft the Lovecraft's characters could recognize as sapient and intelligent and then they they could imagine having a conversation with uh, unlike the the Shoggoths and here, the great race of Yith, I, it's hard to imagine a conversation. Well, they're, I mean, they, I mean, the Yithians view themselves as just, just guys, right? I mean, I, I think, I mm-hmm. think the, the comparison that I, I made earlier to uh, Gallifrey is, 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 I mean, if the, if the, if the Gallifreyans were, you know, uh, conical creatures and didn't just look exactly like uh, humans, 
I, I think this is what they would they would be like. You've 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 got a race that 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 can 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 control all of 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 space and time and go wherever and whenever they they want. And if 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 they just if they if they didn't keep to themselves like they seem to do on on the TV show, but um. Yeah, if you look at some of the like expanded universe Doctor Who stuff, uh, Faction Paradox and the Homeworld, and um, uh, what's that one guy? Nah, I don't know. But um, but yes, the, uh, Lawrence Miles is dead romance. Um, there's this uh, the sort of a uh, alien, yeah, not 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 alien, but rather contempt for humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, right. the great uh, Azathoth will will kill you without even noticing that you were there. The um, the great race of Yith will kill you, you know, if they feel like it. <laughs> well, they'll kill you studying you to understand you, but they're still going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't they don't even 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 kill Peasley. I mean, Pe- Peasley lives. He's 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 on a boat back back home. I mean, he's he's kind of shaken, but like, and there's there's like I, I don't get the sense by that mental he's, illness. I, I I just I want to point that out. I don't I don't get the sense that he's that that he's crippled. I mean, he he manages he's to unable do unable to hold down a teaching job. Okay, uh, I mean he he still manages to do all this research and 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 gain the funding to mount an expedition to Australia. So. Fair I don't, enough, I don't know enough. how crippled he really is, but anyways, let's let's move on to the Haunter of the Dark. Uh, this is this is uh, quite um, I don't know what's a, what's a small thing you get at the end of a meal that's that's not that's not dessert an, an, an aperitif yes uh, after after thing and shadow this is this is a little bit of an of an aperitif. Uh, the the Haunter of the Dark was written uh, November 1935, published December 1936 in Weird Tales. It was dedicated to Robert Block, so it, at first I thought that Robert Block had had died, uh, but that is actually not the case. Uh, it is a sequel to The Shambler of the Stars, uh, published in 1935 and written by uh, Robert Block. Uh, in which uh, Robert Block uh, killed a character that was based on Lovecraft, so Lovecraft returned uh, the favor and invented the character Robert Harrison Blake, and Robert Harrison Blake is based on Robert Block, and he dies in this story. And actually, uh, many years after Lovecraft's death, uh, Mr. Block wrote a third story. Um, I, I haven't written it down. It's, it's something about, about the steeple. 1950. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. The Shadow from the Steeple. The Shadow from the Steeple, yes. Yeah. So, if, which forms, I guess, a trilogy. So, there, there you go. Uh, and, uh, Peter, would you like to summarize The Haunter of the Dark? Sure, okay. So, uh, Mr. Blake is one who's, like, you know, classic Lovecraftian character, obsessed with stuff he probably shouldn't be. Uh, takes an interest in this small kind of, uh, it seems abandoned, like the windows are boarded up church uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, wherein he finds the shining trapezohedron. And I'm just going to stop right there because I'm not great with my math terms. Is that a D8? Did he find a magical D8? (laughs) (laughs) I want that to be true, but no, I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. Well, I totally pictured this story differently. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I will will have to look up that word to see if that's a real actual thing or something that Lovecraft made up. I have always envisioned a a uh, a rectangular prism, but instead of a rectangle, it's a trapezoid. 
Oh, well, that would make way more sense. So it's like one of those Zochi dice, like a D5. Oh, awesome. Okay. So anyway, Blake, uh, so yeah, so he finds that uh, by messing around with it, he unleashes some great horror, right, that can only really come out at night. So the city lights are sufficient to block its entrance to follow him down and get him, right, which is all seems well and good until the city of Providence itself loses power, right? And so his death is blamed on uh, a lightning strike, isn't it? Like, somehow it got him through his house and window, but mm-hmm. whatever, because nature does weird things, right? It was kind of the way it was uh, right. kind of hand-waved. And then, right. like, uh, there was some uh, journalist, I, I think it was a journalist, who threw the polyhedron into the bay, right? Because understanding that it was some sort of, like, corrupted artifact. Mm-hmm. Does that uh, so about cover it? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm looking up a trapezohedron on Wikipedia, I, I suspect that the only references are going to be to this story and to fan fiction nope, from it the is, story. No, it is it is an actual it is an actual uh, geometrical. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, it's a uh, thing. I'm I'm not. What does it look sure. like? It it looks like uh it it looks like like a almost like like a ten sided die but with with more sides. Uh, the the n gonal trapezohedron anti die pyramid. Or deltohedron is the dual polyhedron of an n-gonal antiprism. <laughs> math, 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 yeah, math. Yeah, that meant nothing to me at all. That's why I didn't bring it up, because I'd already looked it up on Wikipedia just now, and I didn't understand a dang thing it said. And I just, I just okay, no, it. I'm looking at this. It actually, it's not that complicated. A, a trapezohedron is a, is a category of polyhedrons. A D10 is a 10-sided trapezohedron. Uh, you can have them as with other numbers of sides. If you visualize a D10 and imagine sticking some more faces on there, um, that's what it would look like. Okay. okay. Well, that's so it, so that's, by, that's by why we have Jeff, Jeff Wickstrom here. He's the yeah, uh, Google Image Search actually <laughs> has a bunch of pictures of different trapezohedrons. Um, so it's, and it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Sweet. Well, amend what I said earlier. Catch that in post. Instead of D8, say D10 and make me sound smarter. You always say you're going to catch it in post, and you never catch anything in post. <laughs> I will. I will have you switch bodies with your with yourself. I will. I will have you travel back in time, and and say the say 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 the correct thing. Awesome. Well, either way, it's great. Somebody left a magic part of their base set, and that's just one of the best things I've ever heard. Oh, and also Howard Watch, uh, that trapa- that trapezohedron was owned at one time by the Serpent Men of Volusia, which is an express reference to Cull. It was also uh, owned by the Elder Things from At the Mountains of Madness, who made the box that they put it in. Oh yeah, it got uh, it got passed passed around. So right, so that's from Yugath originally, isn't it? Isn't there somewhere mm-hmm. in there where they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which would be it came from the Migo. So it's it's in this church, and uh, uh, Robert uh, touches it, and it, it summons this this thing. Is is this a what is it like a like a shambler? Is, I kind of think it was Nilarhotep. In Arkham Horror, it's an avatar of Nilarhotep. Okay, I I well, didn't particularly get that impression from this. Well, he he calls it an avatar an avatar of Nilarhotep, whatever, in the end of the story, but. I was trying to put it into my memory of different 
monster types from the old Call of Cthulhu game, and I couldn't I couldn't come up with what it was exactly. So it's, it's I'm it's struggling a, to get through the end of the story, frankly. Yeah, it's 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 not a very it's it's um it's it's not bad. It's just it's just not terribly you know uh, uh, original. You know when 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 the story s- started with you know dedicated to Robert Block, I just assumed. Lovecraft's friend Robert Block had passed away, and he just penned this very hastily as as sort of so, sort of a tribute. Uh, but you know that was that was not the case. Robert Robert Block was very much 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 alive. Um, Psycho. What's that? Psycho. Psycho. That the Hitchcock movie is based on. Really? That's awesome. Psycho is based on on the life of of Robert Block. <laughs> It's based on a no. It's based on a, based on a book he wrote. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, well, I did not know that. Um, yeah, I mean, you. Well, I mean, we could we could do I an could entire be mistake, but I'm not uncertain. We could we could do an entire you know series of shows based on uh, you know the people that that Lovecraft had in his circle: Robert Robert Block, Clark Clark Ashton Smith, and 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 all of those. But unfortunately, we we, we just don't don't have have the time. Um, That's right. But yeah, I mean the. The, it, it seems like 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 a very generic um, horror story, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. he summons this thing. It can only move in darkness. It doesn't like the, like the light. It it haunts him for a while, uh, and then uh, w- Wikipedia ex- explains the the entry, or sorry, sorry uh, Wikipedia explains the ending as uh, this this creature was sort of swapping bodies, you know, swapping minds with him, and they were they were connected. You know, uh, mentally, and then the creature got struck by by lightning. So when the creature got struck by lightning, he was linked with Blake, and so they both died. Well, refuting that would take a closer read of the text than I'm willing to do. So I'm willing to to believe that. Um, but it does end with you know Blake's like mad writing as he is dying. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically you know the grave can be found in the castle of Ach. <laughs> right, <laughs> that level of it, it, I, I did not care for the story all that much. Wik- Wikipedia says Lovecraft Never was have. supposedly inspired by by the fall of the House of of Usher, because uh, in, apparently in the fall of, of of the House of Usher, you you have this this man and his sister and this and this house, and they're all connected and they all sort of perish uh, at the at the same time, and that's that was that was Lovecraft's inspiration for this for this ending. So I don't, take it, take it for what, for what you will. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have come up with that, but okay. <laughs> this yeah. is this is the result of of uh, you know Lovecraft uh, commentators with with more time than than you or I. So that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. the only the only thing that I take from this story and think is something cool to use in your D and D game is the idea of the starry wisdom cult mm-hmm. this um you know very much operating out in the open cult of uh basically devil worshipers yeah you, know, you don't think of 19th century providence rhode island as being particularly welcoming to devil worshipers and indeed uh eventually the city takes action against them but you know it's uh pretty they're pretty blatant about it yeah, well, maybe I mean, for a uh, while. Is... <laughs> Love, Lovecraft's villains, uh, as we've established, are not subtle. 
<laughs> that and I love the par- all the parts where Blake is walking through the the neighborhood and 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 the florid descriptions of the neighborhood make it sound like he's going through like Ulthar or or someplace in the Dreamlands. And really, all he's doing is walking through Little Italy. Mm-hmm. He's seeing all of these Italian people. <laughs> yes, once, once, once back, once, once more, we come back to very racist descriptions of of of, of it, Italians and it's so uh, it's so over the top. It's almost endearing. Like he's walking by, he sees a little old lady sweeping, and he like shudders, crosses the street to get away from her. <laughs> yeah, he's a shine on you, crazy diamond. <laughs> What were, you know, what were this, you gonna say, Peter? I said maybe this lends in some ways, like to what you were talking about about the villains kind of being able to be out and about in Providence. Like maybe the like the mainstream New England contingent of Providence is just waspy enough that they're not gonna bring it up, right? The elephants in the room, and they're just gonna like avoid it. My grandma's like that, right? Like she'll be like, "Oh, your grandpa had a spell, and like he's in the hospital." And he's like, "Oh, great, yeah, no, it's very descriptive. Thank you, grandma." Like you well, find out through for- like second, third sources. For a while, the uh, the Starry Wisdom cult is abducting and sacrificing people, but uh, the authorities don't do anything about it because they're only abducting and sacrificing Italians, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, not a big hurry. Yeah, and it mentions in the in the reporter's body uh, when he finds that body and he's looking through the reporter's notebook that there was a a mob of Irish boys at some point, and so probably he. That, that, that they'd kidnap some Irish kids and the Irish do a little uprising about it, I'm assuming, is what he's getting mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's how I interpreted that. Yeah. So you have the, the good northern Europeans coming in to uh, to save us all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, this the character is interesting in that, you know, as uh, Peter did the summary right at the beginning, um, you know, he mentioned that Robert Blake is someone who is interested in things that he probably ought not be interested in. You know, which are, is already pushing him in this direction. And at the end, I was really struck by the fact that in his last bit of crazy writing, as the monster's coming for him, he ends up praying to Azathoth and Yog sothoth to save him. And man, mm-hmm. not going to happen, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He prays, Azathoth, have mercy. Man, Azathoth does not have mercy. That's not even on the job description. You know, uh, not even close. Well, having having mercy would 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 mean being able to conceive of mercy or or malice, of which Azathoth has has neither. Right. Yeah, Terrifyingly, like, wake up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's last that's like anyone idiot. needs. Yeah, he's he mm-hmm. calls him the blind idiot god in this story, you know, and. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So, so not uh, terribly Im- impressive, but it's it's Lovecraft. So it, it's still it's still fun to read. It's still uh, chilling. There's there, there's still a, a a Turner phrase here here and there that that we can that we can uh, uh, point to and 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 enjoy. Yeah, oh, yeah, the star- the Starry Wisdom Cult is a cool name for a cult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, starry as as an adjective for wisdom. I like that. And um, see, I would I would think shining... they'd be they'd be very very uh, sparkly. Like they just they just come out in these shimmery robes and they 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 dance or something and there'd well, be they, a, they be a disco ball. If they were called the Blood Murder Cult, I don't think that uh, <laughs> anybody would anybody would uh, would would be eager to sign up. 
That's right. Uh, and the tra- shining trapezohedron is kind of your your archetypal cursed artifact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would want to point out that man, his description in the first few pages of the hill that this place is on, Federal Hill, mm-hmm. is incredibly <laughs> evocative. I went back and read the description like three times. I just that's, I wish I true. could describe scenes that well. I would be King King DM of the universe, if I oh, could describe rip out, things. Rip out well, phrases and put it in your in your own uh, box text when you're. Yeah, man, I'm, I, I totally intend to. I, I I literally went back and read that description several times because it just conjured such a strong mental image for me. Right. It's fantastic. So that part was great. GMs out out there, if 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 you've just bought uh, Curse of Strahd for for fifth edition and you're you're looking for some extra creepy phrases to to uh, insert into your uh, descriptions. Uh, I guess what we're saying is, is this is, this is a good, good source. Yes. I mean, I don't know that it's as good as the Dunwich horror, but you know, what is exactly, exactly. The first, the first couple of paragraphs of the Dunwich horror are, I think Lovecraft's best in terms of being evocative and creating mood quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. We're, we have we have talked uh, long into into the night, and I, I, I feel feel the gloom of of uh, of evening uh, closing in. Uh, do we have any final comments on uh, any of these three stories? The thing on the doorstep, the shadow out of time, and the haunter of the dark. I have a question to ask you guys because I haven't been in on all of the Lovecraft talks. I've listened to everything, but I wasn't involved. Um, in what sense would you say this that Lovecraft's writing shaped Gygax and his thinking about D and D? How would you, how would you do that in a couple bullet points? We have the class of monsters known as aberrations. Mm, mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean the the Cthulhu deities were were in Dunge- Dungeons and Dragons for in the in the in the very early early books. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've 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 talked about you know, you know the the magic jar spell that uh, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean the the way that wizards operate in in uh, in uh, Lovecraft you know may may have have informed at, at at least at least at least part of the the evil wizard uh, archetype that that shows up in in uh, in D and D. I kind of mm. thought a uh, clerical magic. Honestly, like these weird, like knowing too much as opposed to like the Vancian system where you're like casting it and forgetting it sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and these deities that are there, but it's like how they're and like how much are you really working into their best interests or whatever? How much are they guiding human fate? Like, I kind of feel like your classic evil cleric running a cult and undermining a town is just like Lovecraft. It's just ripping from Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. I mean, hmm. it's, that's, that's, that's also Howard though too, right? Yeah, I feel like yeah. Lovecraft's contributions were a lot less direct than uh, than some of the other authors that we've already read an appendix in, and mm-hmm. some that we're, sure. we haven't yet gotten to. Yeah, um, but he's you know nobody beats Lovecraft for mood and tone, and if you're looking for that in D and D, you, you want to go straight to the uh, the wellspring, mm-hmm. the source. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good insights. Thank you. You're you're welcome. All right, uh, I think uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna end it here. Uh, there's one other thing. One other thing. Oh yes. 
Yes. Uh, Rob Wolf, uh, my friend from college, could not be with us tonight, but he did email me an observation about the shadow out of time. Is he switching bodies with you right now? <laughs> I, you know, 15 years ago, I maybe could have done a decent Rob impression, but that's, you know, the time has passed. So I'm going to uh, relate from memory what he observed, which is that the what happens to, uh, to PZ is very similar to what kind of experience a Dungeons and Dragons player character might have. You know, you so you're li you're living your normal life, everything's going along, and then suddenly you have a whole new personality. Or you're using slang that's inappropriate, and you're traveling a lot. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Years go by, and then you know suddenly the campaign peters out, and you're just left standing in a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> I buy that. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. Rob couldn't be with us tonight, but. Well, that was that was that was actually that was actually actually pretty pretty funny. Yep, you're 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 a farmer, and suddenly you you, you start saying things like a like AC and HP and things like that, and then then the campaign falls apart, and you're you know in the in the middle of a of a session because yeah you're going off into <laughs> dungeons for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. We we really do have to bring this show to a close. Lewis Brenton, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Rev Lewis Brenton, and I also write at lewisbrenton.com. Awesome. Peter Foxhoven, where can people find you? I'm at cromcountthedead.com. I should probably update more. I haven't in a while, but maybe knowing that this is going to be posted will get me off my butt and actually doing something. Buy Crom. Get off your butt. Buy Crom. That's right. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, Jeffrey Wickstrom, where can people find you? It's been a distressingly long amount of time since I last updated jeffwick.com, but all of the old content is still there. So if you want to read about King Arthur and just how crazy that nut nut is, go to jeffwick.com. Jeff, Jeff just had a, had a baby, folks. So uh, visit his website and visit his Amazon store and maybe buy something. J-E-F-F-W-I-K dot com. It's dot com. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Listeners, we hope you have enjoyed our discussion of these three tales by H.P. Lovecraft. This is our final episode on Lovecraft. He passed away on March 15th, 1937, less than two years after writing The Haunter of the Dark. We've covered about 20 of his stories on this show, so if you enjoyed this discussion, do go back into our archives and listen to previous episodes. You can send us your thoughts and comments in an email to thetomeshow at gmail.com. Put appendix N in the subject line, and that way it, it will get right to us. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn, that's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N, and I am also on Instagram with the same handle if for some reason you want to see pictures of my food. Our next episode will cover the final three tales of Conan the Adventurer to be uh, written by Robert E. Howard. These are Beyond the Black River, Shadows in Zambula, and Red Nails. Following that episode, we will be taking a break as we plot our course for the next couple of episodes. Expect us to cover Fritz Leiber, L. Sprague de Camp, August Derleth and 
Andre Norton when we come back. If you are familiar with these authors and would like to recommend stories for us to cover or even to be on the show, please let us know. Drop us a line at thetomeshow at gmail.com. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 32, Selected Stories by H.P. Lovecraft, Part 5. Thanks for listening. We're friends. Out. Out.